Hello, and welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 32. I saw it as I had always been trying to make things work around what was just given to me. And now I was like, you know what? No, I am going to make life work for me. And I am going to tell people how I need them to show up so that I can be my best. And I'm going to tell people what I need in order for me to excel in the workplace, in school. I'm back in school. So yeah, there have been a lot of beautiful things that have happened since I finally built up the confidence to start telling people, no, I have ADHD and I need this. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD, or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you are going through your journey. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. I'm excited to have my guest today, Nicole. She is an advocate. She has ADHD and she also has written some books. So we're going to talk about all those things. So Nicole, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to see you and meet you. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and then why do you know so much about ADHD? Yeah, so I am an author and the co-founder and executive director of the Precious Dreams Foundation. It's an organization I started in New York City back in 2012. And we provide coping tools as well as programs for youth living in homeless shelters, or navigating the foster care system to empower them to use healthy coping skills. We have been serving in New York since 2012, but we serve by way of local chapters all across the United States. And occasionally we serve internationally as well. So outside of that work, my passion in life is just to empower and encourage young people to advocate for themselves, do the work, love on themselves. And so I've been doing that through my writing and some of my books. And I would say outside of my work, I am learning to play golf. I am an empath. I am an Aries. And I just love to support people. And why do I know so much about ADHD? Well, I am an ADHDer, um, and I am very proud to say it. I am so happy that I know that I have ADHD so that I can advocate for myself. And I wouldn't say that I am an ADHD expert, but I am someone who, for the last 34 years of my life, have been working so hard to fit in, to mm-hmm. hide it, to work around the the traditional school model of sitting in a class and listening to an educator um, provide information when that was not my learning preference. Mm -hmm. And with all of these years of just finding tricks and different things to do so that I could cope with those challenges, it's put me in a position where now I can speak to young people and share those resources and tips with them as well. That's beautiful. So let's dig into each little part that you had talked about. So the first thing, the ADHD journey. So when were you actually diagnosed and then what type were you diagnosed with? So I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD. 
in May of 2020. So it took a pandemic for me to sit down and do the work on myself. A few years ago, I would say I became more confident that I had ADHD and I started to share it with others, but I did not take the time to go see the doctors and get the evaluation done. I am someone who just is so busy with what's in front of me that a lot of times I don't prioritize myself. And so when the pandemic happened, I was sitting at home um, with my busy brain and I was like, you know what? what am I going to do for myself this year? And so that was the first thing on my list, see a doctor, figure out what's going on, get evaluated, and then begin to treat yourself and love yourself and do what you need to do for you. Okay. That's awesome. So you find out that you had ADHD, but let's take a step back. Why do you think you were missed? Why do you think that no one recognized that you had ADHD when you were younger? Well, the thing is, it's often overlooked in young girls, as you know, um, especially when you have inattentive type. So while I would listen, I would follow the rules. You know, I was quiet in class. That's what was asked of me. It didn't mean that I was paying attention. Yes. And so I was actually learning at home when it was time to do the homework and I could read and I could sit with the information and digest it on my own. Sitting in class, I wasn't learning a thing. Everything was going over my head. You know, it would be the moments when the teacher calls on my name that I get all anxious because I was not listening. I might've heard like the last three words before my name was called. So it was a real struggle. And because I was so distracted in the classroom, there were times where I would turn and talk to the person next to me or just start daydreaming. And because of that, I was labeled as a troubled kid or I was being bad in class. So the teacher would call home or, you know, I I would get in trouble for daydreaming or just being distracted. And I'm so glad that now we're at a point where people are starting to learn that You know, it does not mean that someone is choosing not to follow along or someone is choosing to be a bad child. It's, It's not that at all. You know, distractions happen, especially for those that have this diagnosis. So, yeah, I would say that. I was overlooked because I was still getting good grades. I was getting great grades, but it's because I was so determined to keep up and, and do the work outside the classroom. Yeah. And I experienced the same thing. So I also was just diagnosed last year, but the only reason why I went ahead and got tested was because I saw myself in my kids. Right. And so, but then once I was diagnosed, it really connected the dots in terms of why I did certain things. So like you, I worked so hard to get the grades that I got and I struggled in school and it was really a hard time for me. And again, I just didn't know why things were so hard. So having that diagnosis, among some other things that happened, having that diagnosis just took a weight off of my shoulders. And it was just like, Mm -hmm. I get it. This is why it's happening. I mean, literally, I just felt so good after having that diagnosis. I know everybody doesn't feel that way, but I truly did. So yeah, Yeah, they don't. And I, I honestly felt so relieved. Yeah. And I felt like it was an awakening of me growing closer to myself. In that moment, I was like, okay, so now I know what it is. 
And so now I can properly advocate for myself. And I saw it as, you know, I had always been trying to make things work around what was just given to me. And now I was like, you know what? No, I am going to make life work for me. And I am going to tell people how I need them to show up so that I can be my best. And I'm going to tell people what I need in order for me to excel in the workplace, in school. I'm back in school. So yeah, there have been a lot of beautiful things that have happened since I finally built up the confidence to start telling people, no, I have ADHD and I need this. So now you've got the diagnosis. What are some basic strategies that you put in place to help you get to where you are right now? So what are you doing differently now? So the main thing that I would say I'm doing on a daily basis that is different is how I use my computer, right? So I have it set up where anything that I am watching, any audio that is coming through my screen or my speakers, I have the captions set up so that if I get bored with what I'm looking at, I can follow the words. I even do it with movies because otherwise my mind will go somewhere else. (laughs) So I'm following captions on everything that I do now. I've also installed, there's a Google application for PDFs so that you can have the audio um, as you're reading along. So for school now, if I'm reading something, I will have it playing as well. So if I do get lost, I'm hearing it and I can at least follow there. So those are the two main ways that I have changed the way I operate with school and with work on the screen. And then I have also just unapologetically began communicating to my family members when I am not present anymore, you know, and it's become something that we've all just started laughing at, but at least now they don't think that, you know, I'm just being rude or I don't care. I care deeply. I'm an empath, but things happen. I get distracted. My mind goes other places. So now I feel comfortable enough to say, you know, my family knows, my friends know, and I will say, sorry, guys, I just went somewhere else. Or can I actually cut you off and ask you this question that has nothing to do with what we're talking about and then go back? And so because I have such a great support system, me advocating for myself in my own personal world um, has been a huge benefit. That's so good. You know, that's one of the things that we talked about is having the right supportive community, right? So again, there are people who are being open about having ADHD and they are losing friends or family do Mm -hmm. not believe them. But when you surround yourself with the right community, it does put you in a place that you feel so differently and so positive and strong in your diagnosis. And it really helps people move forward, right? They don't feel like they are different or bad people, or they're okay with being different. And so I love to hear that you have a supportive community because again, that's what we all need as people that have ADHD. Yeah. And then, you know, at the same time over, I would say the last year, I've really began educating myself about it so that I can educate those around me. I mean, even my mother the other day, she sent me, my mother means so well, she sent me something on IG and she said, maybe if you, there were like three tips, you know, like (laughs) drinking water and whatever. She said, maybe if you do these things, you can rewire your brain and then, you know, you won't have the ADHD symptoms anymore. 
And I was like, well, mom, I can't rewire my brain, but these are things that I can do to support me. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, she's trying to look out. <laughs> yeah. It's not a just fix and go away, but she's trying to help. And I appreciate that. That's really cool. So mm-hmm. what would you say to people who are deciding if they should even bother getting that diagnosis at a later age? Because some people feel, you know, I've lived with this or they're afraid of the stigma. So what would you suggest to them? I would suggest that all people know as much as they possibly can about their health period. You know, when we go to the doctor and we find out what our bodies need, that is when we decide the type of foods that we can eat, the type of foods we can't eat because we want to be well. And I think it's the same thing across the board with mental health. It is so important for us to go get that diagnosis and figure out what our brains need so we can practice brain love on a daily basis. I want to be here for a very long time. I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. And I don't want life to be so hard. So because of that, I am going to continue seeking support anytime I am having challenges. And I think other people should do the same. It's for your benefit. Yeah, I agree. So let's switch a little bit. So you talked a little bit in the beginning about your platforms, but What was that tipping point that even made you become a mental health advocate? Because it sounds like you were doing this even before you discovered you had ADHD. Yes. So um, through my work with the Precious Dreams Foundation, we are serving trauma-informed youth from babies all the way up to young adults aging out of the foster care system, whether that's age 21 or 24. And so a lot of the youth that we serve are dealing with anxiety, depression, PTSD. They are dealing with daily struggles because of the trauma that they have experienced in their childhood, but then also living in uncertainty, not having the confidence of knowing like, this bed that I am in today, I will be in tomorrow, you know, and Mm. that is a very scary situation Mm. to be in, having to transition from place to place. So in learning to support them, I have began tapping into the wellness space. And, you know, in order for me to best support them, I need to educate myself. So that happened many years ago. And it's actually how I wrote my first book, Everything a Band-Aid Can't Fix. We would bring in different speakers, people who had been in foster care and overcome adversity. And I was always sitting in the back of the room taking notes. And so a good friend of mine, Octavia Yearwood, she said, adversity births legends. Mm -hmm. And I remember writing that down and sitting with it. And I said, I wish more young people really felt and understood this statement. And so I just started writing all of these stories of different things that were happening and people who had overcome their situations. And I said, I'm going to put this in a place where it can reach children that I will never see or meet. Mm. And so that became the first book where we touched on countless issues that teens face that they are just afraid to speak to adults about or they choose not to. Wow. Very powerful. So the Precious Dreams Foundation. So you talked about that you work with, you said teens or is it all ages in the Precious Foundation? All ages. So Mm -hmm. all ages. So 
How did you get support for that? I mean, this is a big endeavor. So how did you even start this process? Of starting the nonprofit? Mm-hmm. So it was definitely challenging. I would say that I am completely self-taught. My background is in sports and entertainment. Mm. So I worked at Madison Square Garden for seven years as a VIP manager in a completely different space. But the one thing that I did in that job that I took with me to the nonprofit is I built great relationships. Um, And when you build strong relationships with people and you build trust with them, they will continue to support you as you transition into a new career or to different endeavors. And so when I started the nonprofit and I left Madison Square Garden, a lot of people looked at me like I was crazy. Um, (laughs) I obviously had to take a huge pay cut, but I was so passionate about Mm -hmm. the work that a lot of my friends who became donors um, chose to stay stay around and support me. So uh, we definitely got a lot of support that first couple of years because of the relationships. And then, you know, um, I got support. we started to build a team and we started to seek grants and different things like that. But it took some time. It definitely took some time to grow it out. And I think the relationships was the key thing for me in terms of finding success in the beginning. Okay. Very good. So what are some of your specific services for these groups of all ages. So you talked a little bit about who's your target audience is, but what is your specific services or what are they? Yeah, so our ultimate goal is to show young people how they can save themselves. And we don't want them to need us. I think any great nonprofit wants to go out of business one day, right? Like you want to do your job, you want to save the world in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. And then you go on to, to find a solution for the next problem. So with Precious Dreams, we are trying to equip our young people to learn healthy coping skills on their own. So we do that through writing workshops. Um, we do journaling with our youth. Mm-hmm. We teach them yoga and meditation, very beginner level um, movements for yoga, you know, mm-hmm. teach them just simple ways that you can stretch out the stress, especially before bedtime. And then for the younger kids, one of my favorite activities is actually pillowcase decorating. So we have the young children sit and explore brainstorm everything that makes them feel good, gives them comfort. And they put that all over their pillowcase whether it's in illustrations or words or quotes. And it's the last thing they see before they go to bed at night. And so I think of it as, you know, now that I am an adult, I don't have a pillowcase full of illustrations, but I do have, um, I'm blanking, what is it called? Vision boards. Yes. Yes. I love them. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So it is literally like a vision board for the kids, but the vision is to stay in a positive mindset. And so every single day they are faced with things that are out of their control. Some of them are in unhealthy situations. Some of them are feeling sad, depressed. When they lie down, they are forced to remember everything that they can hold on to that will keep them going. And I think that that's something that we carry with us as adults. And even when we make these vision boards, it's like, I am in this current situation, but my ultimate goal is to get 
somewhere else. So if I hold on to those dreams and I think about those things continuously, I can manifest them. So that's something that we do with the little kids. And we're really just trying to show them how this situation that you're in right now is only temporary. You know, it's really interesting to hear that and that you are starting kids so young on vision boards. I put a vision board together every single year, every single year. And Mm -hmm. so it is so powerful to see when things are completed or when you hit your goal. And they don't realize yet how powerful that is because, I mean, I even remember watching a program where they, where a person said he hadn't looked at it for like five years. And when he saw that he had that same exact house, I think it was like the secret or something. But when he saw that he has that same exact house he put on his vision board, he started to cry because Mm -hmm. it is so powerful. You're right. It's like you put these things out in the world and when you receive them, oh my goodness, it is just too powerful. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love what you're doing. So let's talk about the Pitch Foundation. So you are CEO of the Pitch Foundation. So tell us a little bit about that. So it is actually my consulting business. Okay. that I have. It's uh, it's called Pitch House. And through Pitch House, I have been helping other people like myself, as well as corporations develop their own nonprofits okay. and strategies to create campaigns around social good and ways to support not only local communities, but local philanthropists, local change makers, and people that are trying to get grassroots organizations off the ground. Mm-hmm. That is something that I started because of the overwhelming requests that I was receiving from people who wanted to know, you know, how do I get started? What do I do? Um, And so that is something that I do on the side, which I find a lot of joy in because it allows me to support other causes outside of the ones that we are able to do with Precious Dreams Foundation. So I can expand my outreach through Pitch House, which is something that I enjoy doing. And that's one of my three jobs. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So does this Pitch House also support corporations and different types of services? Okay. Yeah. So how does that work? Mm -hmm. So, um, so one example, Complex Media is a company that I worked with a couple of years ago. And for them, I helped them start their first ever philanthropic division for the nice. company, which is Complex okay. Community. And we created events that we did in different states around their big event, Complex Con. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also drew up the strategy for them to create a nonprofit. So okay. kind of walked with them until they got to the, the place where they could apply for the paperwork and get things done on their own. And so that is something that I, I hope to continue doing for other corporations mm-hmm. um, and individuals because okay. I don't have to be present for the work to get done, but okay. to know that I can support it in some way so other people can feel empowered um, to get out there and start working feels good. All right. That's perfect. Okay. So the last group that I wanted to talk to you about was your, your book. So you had talked about everything yeah. a Band-Aid can't fix. You have the Right Here in Terror Journal, and then you have mm-hmm. your new one, The Busy, Busy Brain. So tell, tell us a little bit about each one of them. So you talked a little bit about the first, but if there's more, tell us a little bit about each one of them. Yes. Yeah, so the first book, Everything a Band-Aid Can't Fix, is a self-help book for teens and young adults. Okay. 
right here in Tear is a journal created for people to write and release um, mm. whatever they are thinking or feeling. Love that. And they mm. can choose to keep the words on the page or they can tear out the page, rip it up and let it go. So that was created with perforated pages and it's high quality binding to make sure that even if you rip out every single page of that journal, you will still have it at the end. Oh, that's um, awesome. And then my busy, busy brain is my newest baby, which I am so excited about. It comes out April 13th and it is a book about my younger self and the girl that I wish I was. And so if I had been diagnosed as a child, this is how I feel I would have showed up in the world. So it is a younger version of me. The character is Nicole. She is a girl with a busy brain in elementary school growing up with a single dad and she has a male teacher who knows that she has ADHD but she doesn't know that he knows and so she throughout the course of the book is trying to figure out how to advocate for herself and when she finally does it the teacher says, I know, and it's okay. And so he works with her to adjust around her setting so that she can feel comfortable and that she can digest the information. And she feels such a sense of relief once that is done. But she also learns that she's not the only child in her class that is having challenges. So it is the experience that I wish I had knowing how I am as a person today. I think that if I knew and if my parents knew what was really going on with me, they could have empowered me to advocate for myself and school would not have been so hard. That's beautiful. So what would you suggest to parents? Because advocation is really hard for parents. And I get that question all the time is, what is my first step? So what would you say as someone who wish they knew when they were younger? And if you did know what type of services could be put in place, what would you say in terms of how they should go about advocating for those services? So um, that is one thing that I get a ton of DMs about, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure you do as well, Mm -hmm. where parents are just feeling completely frustrated because the school is not providing the support that they need for their child. But I think that as young children, we carry the emotions of the ones that we love often. And so when, if our parents are feeling frustrated about our, us having ADHD, um, if they are feeling exhausted, if they're tired of fighting, then I think we begin to start losing the fight, you know? I can remember times where my mom showed up to the school because she was like, oh no, they, they need to give you the support that you need. And it wasn't even around ADHD, but other things. And I think that that's such an empowering experience that even if you feel, if a child feels that, you know, no one understands them, but their parents do, their parents are showing Mm -hmm. up every day and their parents are not going to give up the fight until they get the support they need. That is going, that alone. I think will empower young people to ultimately learn how to advocate for themselves and do the same. So I would say to every parent who is feeling discouraged, there are so many support groups online, whether that is on Facebook, whether that is on Instagram. I actually found you through Instagram, (laughs) looking for community, looking for people that understood what I was going through. And I think parents need that too. They need that support. They need that encouragement. So I would say find those resources and those groups online 
and people that can help you advocate. And then there's also people that you can hire to advocate for you and your child in school. So just don't give up is my main thing. Just do not give up and continue to advocate until you get what you need for your child. Love that. So are there any types of resources that you use, like, you know, any types of books that you've read that really helped you, YouTube channels, podcasts, what have you used in your journey? Yeah. So one thing that I use on a daily basis now is I have a playlist. It's actually a sleep time playlist that I just play on repeat because it's, it's music that doesn't distract me, but it's enough to keep me and like focused on what's in front of me. So I'm playing music pretty low throughout the day as I'm trying to get work done. Um, I know body doubling works for a lot of people. It actually doesn't work for me because if I see something, I will get distracted really fast. Um, So the music helps me drown out the distractions. Um, Therapy putty, like the therapy dough, just touching something. Um, That is a huge help. I actually, in one of my former positions, I would watch my boss give presentations And she would just press at the dough as she was talking. And I was so distracted by the dough that I was staring at it. (laughs) And I'm like, Like, why why is she using this thing? I can't pay attention to the presentation. But I ended up learning that she too has a busy brain. And so that is something she does to help her fidget. So I purchased a lot of that. Um, There's one called Pinch Me Dough that is my favorite. And the last thing I would suggest for little kids is Zenimal. Have you heard of Zenimals? No. No. So, so it's, um, it's a small like turtle. It's a toy, but it comes with 10 meditations. And so kids can play um, or press on each meditation that they want to listen to. And they can choose to meditate during the day. They mm-hmm. can meditate at night to help them calm down and go to bed. But the turtle itself is so cool that kids, you know, want to play with it and run around with it. And then I, a friend of mine, I recommended a friend of mine to get in. He's like, my daughter's running around the house asking people to meditate with her, you know? So that's definitely a really fun tool that I would suggest for young people that are looking for a moment to just be still and kind of zone out. I love that. So is there any last minute thoughts, anything that we haven't covered about your ADHD journey, about your foundations, about pitch house, just anything that we haven't covered, what would you like to say to the audience? So I would love to say if anyone wants to support the organization, the website is preciousdreamsfoundation.org and the book will be out April 13th. You can find it anywhere online, but I always say support indie authors by shopping on their websites. So you can shop on shop.nicolerussell.com for a personalized copy. Just send me a message and I will be sure to personalize a copy of the book. And the last message that I would say is try every single day to practice brain love. And you can do that by having conversations like these with other people that can understand what you're going through and just maybe make you feel good on days where you're feeling down, you know, cause I, as, as much as I show up as like, I love my ADHD, mm-hmm. I feel empowered. I do have days where mm-hmm. I am like, you know, this shouldn't be this hard. Why is it this hard? Right. So just having people to talk to, whether it is your therapist or your friend or your support group on Facebook, find people to invest in your brain love as well. That's love my that, Nicole. Note. Love it. So if they want to ask you any more questions, where can they contact you? 
You can find me on social. I am on Instagram the most at Nicole Russell. It's R-U-S-S-E-L-L. And um, I am only really there now. I also have Facebook. But um, as someone who knows my challenges, I can't handle Clubhouse yet. I just, it's it's too many distractions on the phone. Um, and I'm struggling to find time to get on Twitter. So if you're looking for me, connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I learned so much from you and I love what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.